Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 94 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I have just returned from the CWA Summit in Loveland, Colorado, and had a pretty unbelievably productive time out there, far beyond what I expected. Um, I guess I was thinking of it as a small OR, But for me, it was miles beyond that. Um, Somewhere around 12 hours of interviews came home with me uh, with Dr. Jared Vaggy, Touchstone Route Setter Jeremy Ho, Tonde Cotillo, uh, a really great conversation about engaging minority youth in climbing and so much more. Um, I'm not sure when you're going to start getting those, when they're going to make their way out, but I'd imagine within the next month or two, they'll probably see the airwaves. Uh, So big thanks to Emily and team at the CWA for having me out. Um, I'm already looking forward to next year. So stoked for it. Uh, A couple small pieces of business to tend to before we jump into this thing. First, we are now set up to ship to lots of countries. Everything on our site, finger care kits, process journals, teas and tanks, um, which we're low on but I've already ordered more, so they're coming. Um, Definitely to the UK, Australia, most of Europe, I believe, Canada. So if you've been considering buying something to help support Power Company Climbing, definitely hit us up, powercompanyclimbing.com. And thanks to Lana for getting that set up. She's a champion over here. Uh, Second, if you're coming out for the International Climbers Festival in July here in Lander and you're interested in movement assessments or private sessions, be it indoors or outdoors, several of us will be around. I know Nate and I will. I think Blake will as well. And the machine shop should be up and running. So we're planning on having some sessions in there. Um, Just get a hold of me through the contact form on the website, through my email if you have it, and we'll get you up on the schedule. Um, I'm excited for that as well. I'm excited for people just to see the machine shop. I'm building the 20 degree the 20 degree wall right now as we speak. Well, not actually as we speak, but you know what I mean. Okay, this one's a long time coming. I recorded it in Waco a little over a year ago, I think March 2017. And the main reason I put it off was because I knew the editing was going to be a nightmare. And it was. I think anybody who knows John Sherman um, won't be surprised that there were some disagreements in here because he's an opinionated, outspoken, grizzly old dude, especially when drinking, which we were. And honestly, that's what makes him so lovable, prickly, but lovable. Just don't tell him I said that. And we definitely get into some history here. We talk about what he's up to now. But maybe most interesting, we get into a bit of a grade debate, um, at which point I bring 
Matt Wilder and Alex Puccio into the conversation. And they're elsewhere in the room, so the audio isn't great during some of their parts, but I did my best to make it listenable. So um, stay tuned after. I'll update you a bit on what John's doing, the Old Man Lightning Project, uh, as well as a little about Verm's opinions, especially since he's not here to defend himself. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, this time, this time. Oh, that's such an idealistic view of rating systems. It's true, God, though. <laughs> you are, you're, I'm an optimist, you're, John. You're, little, you're just a babe. For God's <laughs> sakes, Chris. This time, this time, this power. Power. This time, the bill. Been since you did it 25 years maybe 26 now i'm getting Look, you're, older you're old yeah this project's taking a while because i hurt my finger hurt your finger recently in october uh matching the bolt on the way up to the lip yep i got to the lip a couple times and then um i was hit trying to head back up there felt like i was greasing off a little bit yep going like okay Drop down, chalk up, try it again, pulled on the first holds. Uh-oh. Oh, man. Screwed something up in the you know, knuckle of my yep. my bird finger. Oh, man. Can't be fucking that finger up. That's pretty uh, badass, though, that you're that you're going back for that thing. Who are you working with? Uh, Don Kish is the cinematographer yep. and director of the film. Yeah, old man lightning, and uh, we have a lot of other great help. Uh, Andy Best was uh, helping photograph. He's a tremendous photographer, or helping video. Uh, Josh Helling, uh, one of the top guides and uh, video people out in uh, Yosemite. Yeah, was there. Steve Baumgartner. So we had like and somebody's uh, training a top notch. You crew who's training you to get oh, you out of out of old man drinking shape and back into rock climbing shape well i don't know if he's getting me out of old man <laughs> drinking shape but he's getting me into rock climbing shape that would be ryan whited nice from arkansas and we you know, arkansas ryan as he's known or meatball meatball uh yeah you could interview ricky o about him <laughs> probably get some good stories but uh yeah he is a musculoskeletal guru he is my guru of choice. Yeah. He's the one who took me from a complete wreck. You know, 200 pounds, could barely do two pull-ups. Oh, wow. And uh, got me to where I'm getting to lip of Midnight Lightning now. And I've been there several times before I hurt my finger. Uh, didn't quite uh, crack that mantle move over. It's a very tough move. Anybody who's been there can yep. attest to that. Yep. So... Um, but you're going back. You're going to do it. Oh, hell yeah, I'm going back. It's just been raining and snowing the whole yep. time. And yep. it's like it was in October. I was up there. I was getting to the lip. You know, Ryan got me in such good shape. I was getting to the lip when nobody gave me a chance. I mean, right. they're going like, this old fat fuck. I didn't give you a chance, to be honest. I was like, no fucking way he's getting back there. No. Well, but I'm stoked that <laughs> yeah, you did. Ye of little faith. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but I got. I got there to the mantle a couple times, I think about four times. Um, and it certainly took me more than four tries at the mantle before I got it 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then uh, heading back up there again, uh, I hurt my finger. 
And then it took about a month to heal up that finger. And by that time, it just was snowing and snowing and snowing and snowing. And it is officially now the wettest winter on record in Yosemite. Oh, shit. Since they started keeping records. And uh, there just has never been a window to go back and try it. So yep. that's why I'm down here in Waco trying to stay fit. Uh, yeah. Well, you're looking fit. You look trim. You're looking good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I could say the same for you. But. I know, I know. I'm just, <laughs> we're, we're trading places. <laughs> so we're sitting here in the Waco Rock Ranch at the, the house here, and, you know, we got a room thank full of people. Thank you, Alpine Club. And, yeah, thanks, Alpine Club. We appreciate it. And um, room full of people here that we're hanging out with. So if you guys hear people in the background or people heckling, that's that's what's going on. If, and all of you guys, if you have questions, comments, want to heckle John or me, that's fine too. So just jump in. Um, Whoa, is that UZ clip? <laughs> you might as well go ahead and explain that because like three people asked me today after you called me Z clip. So, well, okay. Chris Hampton likes to go under the uh, nom de plume or Used whatever to. it's called. Used to. Used to of O dub. Still do. I answer to O dub for uh, his off with. Yep. Prowess. However, I have never seen this guy on a trad climb in my life. It's never actually but I have happened. Seen him, it's all I have it's all seen rumors. him on uh, on sport climbs plenty. <laughs> so it seemed like Z Clip was a better moniker than yep. O Dub. Yep. So I'm down. Anyway, my next I, album is going to be Z Clip. There we under go. Under that name. So. <laughs> do you do you get here much anymore? How often do you get back to Waco? Uh, every couple of years, I come down for a week or two. It seems like, um, but. I definitely took a big break. Yeah. After about ninety five or six. Is that when the regulations first went into effect? The regulations came into effect then. They were actually in effect before then in certain places, but they got stricter and stricter. But uh, actually, to be honest, what really drove me nuts was that the climbers were being idiots. Okay. And there was a lot of chipping going on. Yeah. And. Uh, I found myself walking around the boulders waiting to find somebody gouging out one of these holds on an established problem. It was happening a lot on established problems to make them easier. Right. And uh, thinking, man, I can't wait to f catch one in the act and then just take a rock and beat their head in. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just pissed me off so much. And, I, and then I realized I was just walking around the whole season angry. And just weren't just... Wasn't yeah. happy well, I spent a season, I climbed every chipped problem in Waco without the chipped holds. And I would go back to Pete's, which is where people hung out then, yeah. Yeah. say, hey, I did such and such problem without the chipped holds today. You know, you guys don't need to chip these holds. You know, you you will be able to do these. Right. You know, if, if when you apply yourself and everything like that, don't bring it down to your level now because your level's going to go up. And you're just stealing from the future doing this. And everybody's like, eh, whatever. Verm <laughs> they couldn't care less. Yeah. And and I realized it's all about that, their well, own egos. Well, hey, you know, my time had come and gone here at that point is what I felt. And uh, it was time to move on because I wasn't having fun here. I was angry all the time. And it was just like bouldering ought to be fun. You know, you ought to psych you up every time you go out. And I just I thought was you going just got, out angry. I thought you just got happy by being angry. That's what it always seemed like to me. No, no, no. I mean, I get happy being angry at you, Chris, but <laughs> but who doesn't? That's true. It's true. I, I invite it. I bring it on myself. 
Yeah, you're, that sounded like a lot of wisdom, and you've always played this super crotchety, cranky old guy. So, you know, where's all this wisdom been hiding all that time? Mm, maybe I should have brought it out sooner, you know? Uh, I'm surprised say- that you're here as often as you are because, you know, a lot of the old schoolers that were here in the early days have pretty much abandoned it because of the regulations and you know all that that went into effect what makes it you know why do you feel okay coming back well i would say actually the regulations take it back closer to the experience i had when i was first here yeah you know uh i mean there were days where i was the only person in the park the only visitor who wasn't a ranger right many many of those back in the early days yeah you know where i was living in the campground and there was nobody else in the campground i was the only camper and there was nobody else who came into the park all day except for mm-hmm. me. And I was just running around, scoping out boulders and doing new lines. And, uh, you know, that was wonderful. It was amazing. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, I was a kid in a candy store. I was a drunk sure. in a liquor store. You know what I mean, it was just like, <laughs> holy smokes. It was just like everything there was waiting for me to do. Yeah. And, uh, now you know well then you know let's go back a bit you know rewind 20 years or so back to the mid 90s and it was getting so crowded with tons of climbers and uh it was more than the resource could legitimately handle sure i don't blame them for cutting down numbers i don't like the way they did it i think that that was ridiculous it's it's over complicated yeah but uh but as far as you know, maintaining the resource, I think yeah, they uh, they had to do something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's just a simple limitation on how many people came in a park each day would be okay, with as opposed to having this. You know, you can go to North Mountain, but you can't go anywhere else. Thing. That, right. It's a pretty that, complicated that, that system. Is, that seems overly tricky to me. Yeah. But um, but now I, I you know I go out there and today. Uh, it was great. It was just the first day that the five bimbos were reopened yeah, to climbing yeah. yep. after decades of closure. And are those your problems? Well, some of them, yeah. yeah. Whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. I did a lot of first ascents here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have to look at a book and, and see if I <laughs> which ones I put up or not. I, I can't. Legitimately, sure. I, I can't remember. There are so yep. many of them. Yeah. But the... Uh, it was great going out with a bunch of people who had been climbing here for over a decade and had never gotten to climb on those rocks before. Right. And today and was they the first were just chance. going nuts and going like, man, I just did, you know, nine, 10 problems I'd never done before. Yeah. And they were just absolutely thrilled. And it was so cool to see that. And it's a step in the right direction. You know, Texas parks finally, you know, uh, taking away one of the climbing bands as opposed mm-hmm. to opening another one. Yeah. You know, and giving something back to the climbers. And I think this is the first time this has ever happened today. And it's such a step in the right direction. It means that they are being true to their mission of protecting the resource and allowing recreational opportunity at the same time. Yeah. Because we are you know, at the five bimbos, we aren't, you know, damaging any of the archaeological mm-hmm. uh, resources there. 
And so they said, okay, you can go back and climb there again. And there's a lot of the closures that I hope get lifted because of that. Yeah, there's um, been there's been talk of all sorts of things. Yeah, like they've North Face of the Mushroom. The, they they, they sandblasted the off all the rock art on that. That was yeah. the, the part that sandblasted it off. You know, it's just like the climbers didn't cause the problem there. Right. The climbers didn't cause the problem at any of the closures, but there's a lot of politics involved, and and there's a kind of Hatfield-McCoy thing that goes way back between climbers and rangers, and so... Sure, uh, and some of it, it makes sense. You know, some of it should be protected. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I support some of the closures, and and there's some that I don't, and I'm glad that the five bimbos got open today, because that's one of the ones I didn't support, because that's one of the ones that we can mitigate any of the uh, um, impacts that we have as climbers mm-hmm. through erosion control and such and protect the resource there and enjoy the climbing. And How close do you follow what's going on here closure-wise and, and mm, all that? I wouldn't say. I, I wish you know, I could say it was closer, but I, honestly it isn't because you know, when I would say local climbers just rolled over with help from the access fund, and I'm not a big fan of theirs. I'm going to say it right here. Okay. Then say like, okay, we're going to go ahead and let them close the north face of the mushroom boulder, and and then we're going to hope that this shows that we're playing ball with the park service, and that maybe something will change in the future. And but that was a big mistake in my opinion because I was here when I first came here. Uh, I was doing uh, like what's left of last. There's photos of me on it, the big Hueco on the left side of the north face right. of the mushroom. Yep. You jump up, you grab that, you underclean it, you do this super cool problem out of it. Well, there was graffiti next to that Hueco that said L. Sherman. Somebody had written it in Sharpie on the rock. Gotcha. And there's tons of graffiti all over the north face of the mushroom back then. Right. And so we jokingly referred to those as the L. Sherman. But that, I mean, that that was there before I even showed oh, up in, in, yeah. in, in Waco. But <laughs> wow, hey, it's got my name written all over this place. <laughs> but that's how the, the genesis of the L. Murray names came because right. we didn't know what Murray had called those problems to the right of that. Oh, and then so we okay. started calling them the L. Murrays because L. Sherman was written on the rock left of it. And we said, well, Murray did those. We knew it was Murray, but we just didn't know what he called them. So we started calling the left, center, and the right L. Murray. Yeah. Um, but. You know, the thing was, is then a year later, the park came in and sandblasted off all that graffiti. All that graffiti. Oh. And there's pictures in the El Paso Times of them, you know, the Tiwa the chieftain from the local Indian tribe is holding the sandblaster, standing next oh, to a wow. couple of rangers after they sandblasted off the, the graffiti and the rock art off right. of the north face of the mushroom. So all of a sudden, in one fell swoop, the Park Service and the Tiwas have done more to destroy the archaeological resources of the park than climbers have in 50 years of climbing here. Right. And so it's always <clears throat> seemed unfair to me that the climbers have been the ones to bear the brunt of the closures and stuff like that. And that there was people no fight feel back. good that something's being done about graffiti and whatnot when we're not the ones leaving the graffiti. So, uh, you know, I really hope that the next opening was going to be the North Face of the Mushroom. There's talk about it. Yep. And I really I've, encourage I've Texas the Parks to, to uh, 
do that because of you know how the resource was already demolished uh, there and not by climbers. Yeah. And so why not let climbers go back there? I, I can't see any legitimate reason why climbers wouldn't be allowed back there. And certainly we are more than willing as climbers and the Alpine Club, I'm sure, would help out tremendously with this to put in the erosion control there, yep. harden the surface like they do. They've been they've been building trail systems all throughout Waco. These things didn't exist when I was coming here. Yep. And now there's these marvelous trails that run all over the park where they have hardened the surface to minimize the impacts, concentrate traffic in one area, and, you know, that's why you build a trail in a place so that people don't run all over the place. You you go to one logical area, let them go through there, you know, protect the resource by hardening the trail, putting in erosion control yep, and such. Keep the erosion to a minimum. Yeah. And we can do that with landings on boulder problems. That's our bouldering trails. Yeah. And, and I was just over there a few yeah. weeks ago and there's a bunch of rolls of that geo mesh fabric, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. underneath mm-hmm. the mushroom. So yep. it looks like there's some work being done and, mm-hmm. you know, that they're... Yeah addressing it and like yeah. you said i think that's i think that's really i mean a weekend great. we could fix it all up I yeah mean, we, we we could bring in and climbers fill would. that is non uh that that won't be mistaken for fill from this area i mean how archaeologists would protect a site you know they would you know cover it with a fill that is from a different area so that they can separate that out and know that that's not part of what they're right, studying. Right, right, right. And because uh, I've talked to the archaeologists about this. And so, you know, we can protect these landing zones like that. We can build them up, protect whatever archaeology may or may not be beneath them, and provide the recreational opportunity, the other yep. uh, side of the coin as far as state parks is concerned. Mm-hmm. And, and take care of both things. And uh, hopefully this is a step in the right direction that we had today. It was awesome doing three-star red again today. And, yeah. you know, like, people haven't done it for, like, I don't know. 20 years or 20 something. Years. 20, 25 yeah. years. You know, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. That's cool. So, and it's cool that you were here on the day that it reopened. Oh, I you know? was thrilled to be up there yeah. and jumping back on it again. Cause yeah, I think that's great. exciting. That might be the best V2 in the park, you know. Yeah. What year did you first start coming here? Uh, and how did that the, come about? be the winter of 82-83 and uh, I was hanging out in Joshua Tree mm-hmm. and uh, some of the El Paso locals were out there. Is that like Mike and Head and that crew? Exactly. Or? Okay. Exactly. And the common knowledge in the climbing world back then was that there was no such thing as climbing in Texas. It right. sounds ridiculous right. now, but I mean, yeah. there was like, you know, a ton of different states in the nation where we knew that there was no climbing. Right. Texas, Kansas and Nebraska. Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> you know, places now that just seem ridiculous because yep. of how much amazing climbing has been found in them. But it's just like, oh, there's no such thing as climbing there. We, we just know that. Sure. You know? Yeah. And back then, uh, that was the thought. And then, but they showed us these photos. And uh, it was like, well, holy crap. Better go out and check it out. You know, not doing anything else with my life. You know, I'm just, holy smokes, how old was I in 82? Uh, well, you're like 20, 107 now, so. I think it was about 23 then, yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just like, wow, okay, I'm, I'll 
check this out. And they said there was good bouldering out there, and then they knew I was a fan of bouldering. And, yeah. And, uh, but not a whole lot had been developed. That came out here, and it's going, oh, my God. Yeah, rock everywhere. This place is insane. And uh, I remember, I think one of the, well, I don't think, I would say in my memory, like the first problem that really you know, struck me that I put up as first scent here, um, that struck me as to how deep the potential was here was sign of the cross. Okay. Because that's in this yep. this in this weird little amphitheater little between hole. like three yep. boulders. You gotta crawl in to get there and stuff yep. like that. And I was just kinda like wandering around, crawled in there and was going, Oh my god, look at this incredible line coming out of here. And then that got me thinking, man, I have got to crawl under every boulder in this park yeah, and totally. see what's there. Yep. And then I made it a point every time I would walk a different path back to the campground every day. And so and then just check out what was on that path. And and so, you know, I got to know the park really well. Yeah. You know, just going, I mean, I just and come up with this um, humongous list of projects to do and and then start whittling away at them did you keep track of it somehow or was it all just in your head um mostly it was in my head but i think i probably wrote down the projects that i I wanted to do the most right you know it's like okay okay i'm showing up next season i'm gonna do this 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 and this that i that i'd seen Mm -hmm. but uh but for the most part, I didn't start writing it down until uh, I was asked to do a guidebook, and that one, and it was, it was kind of functioning because people always came up. They knew that I knew where the Boulder problems were because right. I was the the person the who was yeah uh, out there doing all the bouldering, and and there were people here climbing routes at the time. Yeah, yeah, and so I would go, you know. People end up at like super salad in town all the time, going to salad bar and okay. all you could eat because yeah. they're like, hey, climbers, all you can eat. Hey, it was cheap. You could just like chow down all night. And I kept drawing topos on napkins of how to find this boulder problem or that boulder problem. And after a while, I was going, why don't I just draw these down once and put them in a book? And because I was gotten tired of drawing them down every night, yeah. I was there. Yeah. So, um, that was kind of genesis of the the guidebook uh, project. How many problems do you think you had FA'd? Do you have any idea how many you had FA'd before the first guidebook that you wrote here? Um, I'm saying somewhere between 400 and 500. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't keep track of them all because, you know, you didn't know – if Mike had just rolled by some right, right, you know, right, V1 sure. and run up it or yep. something like that, you yep. know, uh, I had a, a pretty definitive list of who had done everything from V3 and up right. back at that time. I, I tracked that, but down below that, but at the same time, you know, Mike, he was more interested in developing the rope climbing mm-hmm. and it put up unbelievable, you know, most of the sport routes on the front side were done as, incredibly scary trad routes with minimal right. protection when he put them up yeah and uh and then he went back and retro uh bolted them and turned them into popular sport climbs cool when did the v-grade system come about 
Was that before the first guidebook? Okay, that would be 89, maybe, something like that, late 80s. When did you write the first and, guidebook? Uh, first guidebook. Okay, first guidebook, I think I would have to look at uh, the actual copyright on it. I think yep. it was 90 or 91. Okay, so you had um, the V grade but, already. But, you know, that, that copyright's like a year after it's finished writing or yep. something. Yep. And that was introduced in that first guidebook. But... The story behind that was I wrote the first guidebook with no grades in it because I felt that cheapened boulder problems. Okay. Reduced them down to a number. They should be known by a name, say. You know, like, hey, my project now, Midnight Lightning. Yeah. The number is insignificant compared to the name of that. People want yep. to do Midnight yep. Lightning. It doesn't matter what the number is because... I agree. That, it gives it more yeah, personality. Exactly. Yeah. And I felt that's how all Boulder problems should be. Well, my publisher didn't feel that way. It almost got the print with no ratings in it. Mm. But then... Imagine uh, how history could have been different, John. Yeah. And the, the, <laughs> but then he said, oh, you know, I can't sell this. You either have to rate it or we're going to can the whole project. Mm -hmm. And I'd already spent an entire season going out mapping the park and everything. Was the only then, system out there at the time the B grades? Correct. Okay. Yes. The Gills B, B grades. B up to B three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those were confusing to most people because yeah. it was not an open ended system; it was a closed ended system that right. was designed to shift over time. Yep. And nobody liked shifting their B two down to B one or their B one down to nothing. Right. So uh, that didn't satisfy the egos of most climbers. Did you ever so. consider the uh, scale for I do. I wasn't even familiar with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, now that I am familiar with it, I wouldn't because it's confusing as hell because it has <laughs> traverse ratings, boulder ratings, climb ratings. They're all the same sort of numbers and they're, they're really, uh, they, they aren't interchangeable. But they have the same number and letter. Oh uh, yeah. So uh, sometimes it, it confused the hell out of people. Yep. They look exactly the um, same as root grades. Yeah. But they mean different um, things. But I mean, grading systems are just complete fucking bullshit. They're ego yardsticks. They become that very quickly. <laughs> and so I, you know, uh, I didn't want to put them in the original guide. Like I said, I thought it cheapened the whole experience, and mm -hmm. it ended up. Uh, there because I put all that work in and when I realized the book wasn't going to come out if I didn't rate them I went back and climbed every problem in that boulder pro in that guide except for one and rated them and, and what was the uh, one you didn't climb too deep to leap it's uh, over and uh, and damn it it's close to climbing now <laughs> otherwise I would go do the damn thing no actually I wouldn't do the thing I, I, I kept bruising my toe it's a run and jump kick off the wall and I, right up, I bruised right my toe alley, doing man. it, and I didn't want to uh, keep bruising. Every time I tried it, to you know, I thought my toe was healed. Every time I went back to try it, I bruised my toe again, <laughs> and I was just like, ah, screw that, you know. So I'm I'm good with not doing that one problem. And yeah. I did the other 900 or whatever that were in. That's that why first it's guy. graded totally wrong. That one problem threw it, the whole scale off. Yeah, probably did. In fact, people <laughs> complain to me all the time now that the scale is off. Then all the problems they complain about are the old ones. Yeah. That they are all sandbags. I'm just going yep. like, uh, hang on, look who you're complaining to. 
You're yeah. complaining to the person who put them up, who rated them, who invented the invented rating the system. Yeah. And you're saying that my ratings are wrong? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're just rating a little soft on your end that, now. It's just a, you know, well great, great inflation hits all rating systems and, <laughs> and bouldering rating systems, E grades aren't any different. So Yeah. But this grading system makes uh, climbers for number number climbers, you know. Uh, John Gill created the Vertica pass, you know. It's just without grading. So, no, no, no. He he had his B one, B two, B three. Yeah. No, Gil Gil did. Yeah. You know, he he wanted to quantify it in some way too, but he mm. wanted that system to slide to where right. B three was always a kind one, of hypothetical one ascent only. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. One ascent never repeated, but that got people who did a hard problem. They wanted it to be called B3. They would never try it again because if they repeated it themselves, then they would have to downgrade their own problem from B3 to B2. So, you know, so people would end up not repeating the problem they had done in the hopes that nobody else could repeat it. And then it would stay B3. And that was like just as equally messed up as all yeah. the ego. Then a whole new ego battle every, comes into everything. play. Yeah. But all, all rating systems end up just being coming, you know, ego yardsticks and yeah. V grades were no different. Yeah. What was yeah. the, what was the hardest V grade that was in the book at the time? Do you know which problem it was? Uh, the first, first guidebook, there was a number of V nines okay. that were in there. And uh, yeah. So, I thought I heard a story, and for some reason I thought you had told me this, um, probably in St. George at Misty Murphy's house, but someone else may have told me it, um, that originally you had wanted the V-scale to be closed-ended as well. Any validity to that? No. No? It was always going to be an open-ended system? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I... I been around long enough by the time i yep. was coming up with this that i had seen you know uh you know when i started climbing there was one thing rated 512 in california and i right. started in california yeah and uh and that's that's the only climbing i knew so it's like oh wow one climb 512a that's like ooh, that's the that's ultimate the that's pinnacle, as hard yeah. as climbing gets you know and then th those were downrated later you know I, I went and did it and it was 11c later right? i think that's what it's called now you know and so you know and, and i'm uh, a climbing history buff so yep. i've i've read any number of times in different books throughout history oh nobody's going to be able to you know, train harder than us. Right. Devote no one will ever climb harder. 12C. No, you know, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, I mean, you know, Max Jones and Mark Hudon, they were yep. famous for saying, well, 513 is going to come. Yep. But if it comes, you're going to have to be built just so. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't have the right size fingers and the right size reach and the, you know, this and that, there's no way you're going to be able to do it because nobody can possibly train harder than we do. Right. And so nobody's ever going to get better than us. The only reason, only way they'll climb anything harder than us is that they've got a better reach or smaller fingers or whatever. Right. And well, those guys and were now, arguably now, now, visionaries. And now it's just laughable. Right. But I've heard that over and over and over again. And I don't mean to pick on those two guys. Because in, in every sport. I've heard it, I've heard it from, uh, you know, climbers all the way. You know, hey, you go back to 
Half Dome's impossible to climb. Yep. You know, you can go back to the 1850s or whatever when they thought nobody would ever stand on top of Half Dome, you know? Yep. And so, you know, it's been a constant in the climbing community that the people who are doing the ultimate climbs, air quotes, <laughs> you know, always think that nobody's going to climb better than them yep. because they're the best of their age. But it always turns out that the next generation's doing better and we're not anywhere close, I don't think, to you know, where we can get. You look at other sports where, you know, like the 100-yard dash or something like that, you know, 100 meters or whatever, you know, the, the world record gets broken just by tiny yeah, fractions, fractions of a second. A, a second, you know, whenever it does get broken. And these people are working out. You know, I mean, you know, they're they're in wind tunnels with, you yeah. know, clothing design. All to, the science like, is behind be, you them. Know, all this incredible science behind them that we don't have in climbing. Right. You know, and um, it's trickling in, but there's not the money in climbing. Yep. Got a long and way hopefully to go. there never will be. But, I mean, you know, a lot of people feel free to argue with me on that. Yeah. I think but, it'll be a different but, animal but, if but there the, is. The, that was that, but you know, it's going to be in the Olympics now. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, well, hey, somebody wins the Olympic climbing gold medal. All of a sudden, they're going to be able to make money off of it. Now, in my generation, we would laugh at that, right? You know, it's just like I mean, because I remember, oh, ho, 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 someday climbers will be ranked. <laughs> There'll be competitions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all that just sounded so ludicrous and and antithetical to what climbing was all about, right? And but it's become the norm now, and so when enough money gets into it, yeah, then all of a sudden, you know, then maybe the science will come in and and such, and 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 we will start to approach you know, that top of that that's top curve. But right, yep. you know, we're not even in close; we're still on the steep end. You know, I look at what's going on out here in Waco now, and I'm just astounded by the problems I see that have yeah. been put up. Yep. in the last 10 years, things that I didn't imagine doing a while back. You know, like when, you know, when I stopped coming here and, and kind of got upset about all the chipping and stuff like that, um, it was right about when, and let's not equate chipping with Fred Nicole here, but it's right, right when right. he had shown up, yep. you know, it was like a, about a year before I stopped showing up and he was not responsible for any of that to my knowledge. So. Right. But well, he did. I mean, push holy smokes, this guy was strong as hell. I mean, yeah. it's going like, wow, this guy's way stronger than I've ever been. Yeah. And he's way stronger he, than most everyone has ever been. Exactly. <laughs> and he was, and he was just crimping out these little holds, you know, adding these like super crimpy sit down starts to these problems. Just going like, wow, you know, those are footholds. Now he's using them as handholds, you know, sort of thing. Right. You know, he uh, was, uh, you know, shaking things up there. But now, you know, it's gone beyond that to where this crazy compression stuff is going on. Now, I could see what he was doing. I could understand what he was doing. But now I see on these wild compression problems that were things that, you know, I would walk past and not recognize as a boulder problem. Right, you say there's in, no Back in the here. day, you know, like 25 years ago. Oh, that's interesting to yeah, hear. Yeah, whereas any of his problems, I could see, yeah, okay, here's a... a a positive crimper it's just smaller right than i can pull on or on a steeper wall or further from the next hold or whatever you yep. know but i could just see like yeah it, all you had to do is get stronger and you could pull on these things but mm -hmm. now you know it's it's morphed into uh 
you know, more crazy compression than than I ever envisioned way back in the day. Sure. That's uh, super cool. That you're referring to or that you're um, you know, I, I looked at that rhino thing the other day, yeah. and that's something I would have walked by back then and yep. not have, have uh, looked at and said, oh, hey, that's that's a problem waiting to be done, you know? But at the same time, you know, I, I kind of, I, I was in this mindset, and maybe my mindset is shifting now that I'm starting to get back in shape because, you know, I go back to devil's butthole, and we're going like, well, that first half, there's a lot of compression on that. It's just like this, not like this. You know, it's it's, right. it's, 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 it's just a different degree of how sloping and how strong you have to, to press to, to hang on to it. And then, and I go around now, it's kind of freaky going around the park and, you know, being 57 years old, whatever, and going like, holy crap, 25 years ago, I sent this problem, this problem, this problem, and now I can't even do the first move. And I was going like, wow, well, I guess we were stronger back then than I thought, uh, you know, I, I, but at the same time, it's, that's the norm now. People are that strong. Average climbers are doing, well, I don't know if average climbers are doing baby face. Maybe they are. But I mean, I was just going like, wow, you know, that was a hard problem back in the day. And now it doesn't seem hard compared to something like Rhino or... Sure, sure. Gorn or whatever, you know, or, you know, those sure. things. So. But I think it took what you guys were doing to lead up to the rhinos and the crown of Aragorns. And, you know, if you guys hadn't set that foundation that you did of hard bouldering and maybe even putting this grading system on it that people can use to challenge themselves, you know, it's not always just an ego thing. That's part of it for sure. But it's also a way for us to understand what the challenge is, and, and that way we can find appropriate challenges while we're out there. And people have used that. Oh, that's such an idealistic view of rating systems. It's true, God, though. You are, you're, <laughs> I'm an optimist, you're, John. You're, little, you're just a babe. You're just I became like, a sport climber, like and I became an optimist. It's like you just popped out of the womb now or something like that. For God's <laughs> sakes, Chris. No, they are ego yardsticks. That's what they are. It's true, they are. But... If it weren't for that, you know, the allure of the V13 grade, people may not have pushed there. Oh, good. You know? As soon as the first guidebook came out, you know, within weeks, people were claiming the first V10 because V9 was the biggest mm. grade in that. You mm -hmm. know, it's just like, oh, my God, I'm going to, you know, it's just like instantaneous that right. that goes on. And I think that once that starts going on, then you start slicing the loaf a little thinner. I mean, if you yep. really look at the history of of the ratings and in, in bouldering that from like about v1 to v9 it was about one grade per decade okay that it increased now i can understand it going at a faster rate after v9 because at that point was when we introduced pads to the sport right and then you could try a lot more times per day Sure. And uh, in, in, without a penalty. You, it wasn't as punishing on your body. So I could see it increasing a bit. But then it's increased about a grade every three years since then, I think. Mm -hmm. And so... You don't think that more people, more training, the... No, I, know, I, I think all that gyms. counts. More people, more okay. training, you know, better, you know, more, 
you know, the pads making you be able to try more. Yeah. I think that accelerates it. But at the same time, I feel like the uh, human nature is to yep. slice the loaf thinner and thinner nope, so that you can, you can claim the next greatest thing because there are rewards now for that. There weren't rewards back then. Right, right. You know, if you did uh, V8 and people are doing V7, whatever, no, the V8 and V7 didn't exist. You know, those were just some fucked up construct out of my mind that came about to have this guidebook end up in print. It's a but, little disturbing but, to me to think that we all measure ourselves by some fucked up construct out of your mind. <laughs> it should be disturbing. It was very disturbing, dude. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Yes. The, this is the measure baiters out there. Just like, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> run them up. So what do you, how do you feel about things like V16, V17? Do you think those can even exist at this point? Or do you think it's just the loaf's been sliced so thin? No, no, I don't think the loaf's been sliced so thin. Okay. I think it is uh, a function of society we live in now, social media, everybody's connected so closely that, Independent thinking is disappearing. The great boulders of history, and I want to say two names, John Gill and Jim Holloway, okay, were um, hugely independent thinkers. They weren't ruled by a rating system because they didn't exist. The rating system wasn't there. They only wanted to do what they found challenging for them. And they were mm-hmm. physically superior to their compatriots at the time. Okay. Gil, just <clears throat> phenomenal. One arm front levers, you know, yep. Yep. Uh, one finger pull-ups and stuff like that. And, you know, when, when other people were like, you know, wow, 510A is the tops or right. whatever. You know, I mean, I, you, he was like this amazing gymnast and he took a gymnastics mindset to the world. Yeah. Holloway comes by and he is so much better than everybody else that there was no question. Who's the best boulder in the world? Jim Holloway. No question. Absolutely. You can't say that now. You can't say who's the best boulder in the world now because everybody will say, well, I think this person is. No, well, this person hasn't done that problem. This person, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's a lot of really talented boulders out there. But the thing is, they're all sucked into the same mentality because they're all sucked into the media world where all of a sudden you get free shoes. I mean, Jim Holloway never got a free pair of shoes. You know, John Gill, whatever, you know. Um, they There was no tangible reward for those people. So they would think, and their reward was all in their own head. And that doesn't happen with today's boulders because – you get told, wow, well, if you climb V17, you will be our big hero this year and we'll give you more shoes or whatever it is. You know, I mean, some piddling little reward that is financial and maybe social media wise is a big deal, but it is not the sort of thing that drove the independent thinkers, the ones that took the sport in a different direction, like Gil did. I mean, completely different direction than anybody had before. I mean, people viewed, you know, bouldering as just training for other things. 
So you, you know, don't it, think the top boulders of today would just get enough personal satisfaction out of it to go do it? Even if it weren't for the social God media no, and the sponsors? God no, no, no. They're chasing. Aren't you kidding? They're all there YouTubing hmm. themselves. They're all there on Instagram. They're all there on Facebook. They're all sure doing all I, that I think stuff, that's part of the promoting game, themselves. Well, and, and, hey, granted, hey, if I had had the opportunity to do that back in the day, those things didn't exist. But yep. if I was getting paid to do it, I probably would have. I mean, yep. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure, sure, saying sure, that, sure. Give myself a pass on that and them, but. The deal is, is, it's like, I call it the Russian pole vaulter mentality. Okay. Back in the day, if in, well, maybe even now, but in Russia, if you broke a world record in in your sport, you know, an Olympic sport, say, yep. you got to move into a, a bigger, better apartment yep. somewhere. The, the, the state would reward you with that. Okay. Okay. So these <clears throat> athletes would smash the world record in practice, but it didn't count in practice. They had to do it in competition. Well, in competition, they were very careful to only break the world record by like a quarter inch each time. Because every time they broke the record by a quarter inch, they got to move into a better apartment. Well, now if they broke it by three inches, they get to move into a better, uh, no better apartment than if they had broken it by only a quarter inch. And so now you have all these climbers who are like, well, they're told that, wow, if you do V17, we're going to think you're the best thing in the world, and we're going to give you this, this, and this. Well, why aren't they doing V20? You know, that's the sort of leap that Jim Holloway was doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He put up problems that weren't repeated for 20 to 30 years. Who's doing that now? I mean, the hardest problems put up today are repeated in a year or two. And you don't think or that, maybe sometimes even in a week or two, you know, they they aren't. There's not this quantum leap away from the rest of the pack, and the only way to get that quantum leap, I believe, is by being a truly independent thinker and not worrying about what everybody else thinks about you. But that's what's going on. Everybody worries about what everybody else thinks about them now because they are because. Social media is so omnipresent in our lives and everything like that. And, you know, people are cashing in on it. And, you know, if, if somebody dangles a financial reward in front of you because you're a good boulderer, well, hell, I would take it. Why wouldn't you, you know? And then if they tell you, well, you just nudge it up this little bit, we'll give you more. Hell, then you're in their system. You you lose your ability to think independently and push this, the, the sport forward. You know, I mean, the the greatest boulders in the world now, who knows? They could be, you know, living in the you know, Nubian desert in Sudan or whatever and like, you know, crushing stuff we can't even imagine because th- and they don't even have shoes. We, But they're just getting up there to get away from some animal. I don't we know. We just don't hear Whatever about it. it is. But, you know, we don't hear about it because they are separated from thing but it's impossible to separate yourself from that somebody has talent somebody says oh my god i saw this kid do this you know we got to give him shoes we got to get him signed up we got to get him you know here we're going to do ads with him and we're going to sell gear with him and whatever you know or her and so boom all of a sudden then you end up in the in the situation we're in now where you know the incentive is to nudge it up slowly and uh and not to think independently 
And you don't think much of that has to do with exactly what you were talking about with sprinting. Like they, they only break the world record by a fraction of a second. Well, at this point in sprinting, it's because they've been doing it for so long and the science is so dialed in. But no, maybe, maybe I don't, it's dialed in. I don't think so at all. No, I think in climbing that they're, they're probably climbers out there capable of doing V19 now if they could free their minds from this other stuff. Okay. You know, is, is there mean, a way to even do that in today's society? Do you think no, it's even well, possible? No, you would have to drop out of today's society to do it. That's the problem. That's why I'm saying it just yep. nudges up the way it does. Sure, and it's just sure. like a little slow creep upwards, but it is, you know, that slow creep upwards is dominated by economics. I mean, right now, I mean, my great passion is wildlife photography. Yep. Which and, you've gotten really good at, by the way. Well, I think you. I love seeing it. Yeah. And... But I spent a lot of time, you know, sitting around staring at animals doing their thing and trying to get photos of their behavior. And one thing I noticed that animals don't do is they don't try to accumulate money. We are the only species well, on the that, planet. That might be because they don't have money, but, you know. But no, we are the only species on the planet <laughs> that actually recognizes money as an entity. You know, don't you think that the other million species maybe have it right and we've got it wrong? Could be. You know? Could be, you know, It's sure. just like, okay, so it's like, boom. Okay, well, if they just, you know, are psyched on money uh, or we're psyched on money or V-grades, V-grades is bouldering currency, that's bouldering money, that then it's like, you know. So basically I, what you're it, saying here is that you fucked up bouldering. Oh, I sucked the soul right out of the sport. <laughs> sucked it right out. Yeah. I didn't want to have to admit that right now, but yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> well, no, I think a lot of people thank you for it, even though you're awfully harsh on it, because, I mean, I think a lot of us use it in a more, more constructive way than you think. Well, I think it, 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 you know, at the top ends of the sport, it's where it gets abused. Just like money does. I think it's you tricky know, up you there, know, too. You know, you know, look at all these billionaires who only want to make more money, pay less taxes, whatever, but they'll never be able to spend all the money they got. Okay? Mm -hmm. And then look at the struggling working class who makes money and uses it to pay their rent, buy their groceries, buy some beer, whatever. Yeah. It's like, okay. For those people, yeah, money is a convenience. For people above that level, the ones who can never spend all the money they've ever made, money is a status symbol. And the same can go to grades. You know, like you say, okay, yeah, V grades can really help a lot of people out. They can, you know, take people to a bolder problem of a, of a, you know, let's say, we look at the guidebook and say, oh, hey, there's a bunch of V3s in this area, and that's what I really want to work on. I'm, I'm, I'm just breaking into V3s. Yep. I'm going to go there. You know, then it becomes helpful. But, you know, when you get to the upper levels where it's like, I'm going to put up the first V18 or something like that, well, then you're at that point where you already have enough V grades that you can't spend them all in your lifetime. Now you're doing it for ego. 
Well, what about, here's a thought that hadn't, I had never really thought about until you started down this path, but you said that boulders today could be doing V19 or something. You know? Absolutely. What Why if they not? are? What if, what if the real grades of these V16s should be V19 via your scale? Maybe they've just spent, maybe they've been so nervous to up the grades that, that they've been pushing them up really slowly. Whereas they could have given it this big number. That's an interesting thought, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> I'm just going to say, you know, I'm going to say, holy smokes, if any, of the, if any of these number chasers thought they were actually doing V19, they would be claiming V19 right now. And that the, uh, you know, my argument holds that I say that, you know, you can't make a quantum jump where you are, you know, three, four, five uh, grades above everybody else unless you're an independent thinker. And I don't see any of those independent thinkers out there. There's not a current John Gill. There's not a current Jim Holloway. Who do you think's the closest? I don't think anybody. No? No. None whatsoever. Na name, name a boulder out there who's got a problem who's that has gone unrepeated for, you know, more than five years. Matt? No. no. No? Okay. More than two years? I mean, I'm not anywhere close to the <clears throat> threshold of climbing, so. Yeah, I don't, I don't follow the highest grades enough. Alex, do you know any? Um, no, but I know like Joya and stuff wasn't repeated for a long time. And yeah. Alex said Joya wasn't repeated for a long time. Is that Christian Brenna? Is that Joya? Oh, yeah. So they're how out long there. wasn't it? How long ago was that was that put up? Maybe from other classes Yeah, there's there's quite a few out there that are unrepeated, but but I do think there are mm -hmm. guys out there. Were they like put up Dave thirty Graham. years ago? Well, no. Were they put but, up twenty years ago? No. Were they put up ten years ago? Some of them, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So but, that's that. That's my point is that when it goes 20, 30 years, it goes a generation, two generations before it's repeated, then you'll know somebody was thinking outside the box. So when it gets repeated by the same generation, they're, they're in the same box. What's an example of a John Gale or Jim Holloway problem that lasted 30 years? Uh, I'll go right to Holloway and I'll say meat hook, I'll say trice, yeah. I will say, um, uh, oh God, there's another one. Um, did Meat Hook ever get repeated? Uh, Slapshot still hasn't Slap been repeated. Slapshot, that's the one I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. So there you go, right there. And we we do have to qualify yeah. that with Jim Holloway yeah. as a and how about freak the of thimble? nature. You know, that went twenty years without being repeated. You know, so yeah, exactly. Slapshot. There, there, there are those. That's changed though, also. The yeah. It's different. Exactly. Because I know for sure, like I got one of the earliest sense of trice, like like sense of what after got repeated, and I just know a lot of people didn't go and try it. So that's the thing, if a boulder problem just hasn't ever been really tried, and then if a lot of people tried it, it just failed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like a And you tried it 30 years after Holloway put it up? So I just meant it went like untried for a long time. No, I tried it. <laughs> it, it, went tried tried it. it went untried. It went untried by good climbers. Tried it. That was actually my boyfriend, Carlo, at the time. Um, we're not together now, but a long time ago when we were together, and 
I know him and Jamie Emerson were the people like trying it, and no one else in Boulder was trying it. Well, maybe at that time, but it, it had been tried on and off through the years. That it was a knowledge problem. People knew where it was. So, yeah, you know, hey, more power to them for doing it and to you for doing it. Yeah, I get, I get what but, you're saying. But for what sure. I'm saying is like you are repeating something that's already 20 to 30 years old when you do it. And are there those problems today going up? That's, we'll that's, find those problems ever again. Yeah, there are just too many people. Today, yeah. And there's so many more people in climbing than there was a long time ago. <clears throat> and it's just getting bigger and bigger. So, and if something's at the cutting edge, everyone's going to want to go and try it. Yeah. Best climbers in the world. I think I agree with Alex on this one. <laughs> there's easier flow of information too. I mean, like when someone, and, and this is true, through word of mouth because climbing community was tight through the years but now like when someone does something because of what you're saying you know they're spraying about it on instagram and in mm -hmm. magazines and all that stuff everyone knows about the new cutting edge problem and everyone wants to go get a piece of it and yeah. so there's okay. more attempts okay but uh, who's the best boulder in the world right now i have no fucking okay see <laughs> but that's what i'm saying is back when hallway did trice and stuff Everybody knew who the best boulder well, in the world fewer, was back then. There were fewer boulders back then, and so it was like well, yeah, was the there best were fewer, but still, boulders there are. Yeah, yeah, but you could still look at who the best twenty boulders are in the world. You might be able to come up with that list right now, and then try to figure out who's the best. I we think could we could have done that back in Holloway's day and tried to figure out who was the best of that. But there's no question whatsoever who was the best back then. And what I'm saying is, it comes down to independent thinking, and I don't think that independent thinking is it's hard for it to exist now in a world that's dominated by social media when where everybody's thinking together they're not thinking independently and it was easier before i'm saying this is a function of the times i'm not saying it's like oh you know your generation is inferior to Holloway's generation or something like that, that nobody comes out independently thinking. I'm saying that because of how social media and the climbing media and whatnot dominate the sport, that when somebody comes up with talent, like you or Alex, and gets rewarded for it at an early age, you get sucked into the system. That system didn't exist for Gill. It didn't exist for Holloway. That's why they could think outside the box and look at the rock differently than you do. That's that's my argument. I think there's some truth to that, but I, I think maybe it's just that being outside the box and thinking independently has changed faces. I think it's not as easy to recognize anymore because I, mean, I- It's kind of like <clears throat> the, the world of science, you know, where like, you know, back in Newton's era, all he needed to do right. was recognize an apple falling from the tree, and that's gravity. But now, like, <laughs> the, the, like, leading-edge scientists, their theories are, like, totally out there because they have to cut this little space of knowledge that hasn't been tapped before because the whole landscape is already covered with theories and ideas and principles, and so... There's, there's less room for being novel and there's less room for advancement. And which is not to say that there's no room and, and we may find giant steps in climbing or science or anything else that come from these true independent thinkers. But I think as you progress and as more people do something, whether it's science or climbing, 
you get um, fewer opportunities for radical like change from from what's happening or, or new inventions or new ideas or new advancements you are enforcing my argument right there because you're saying that like the advancements in science aren't as great as they used to because of this expanded world out there where there's more knowledge you know everything that's going on around them you know and so i am saying that if you took somebody with incredible climbing talent who didn't know about the climbing world but for some reason in uh decided to pursue climbing on their own right right now they could do stuff that we couldn't even imagine right now it's an interesting theory. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all, I think maybe John's not as extreme as we're all seeing him. Oh, and yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I <hope> I <laughs> but I know I need another beer. Plenty of what? Well, that's, I think there's tons of unrepeated problems around, you know, okay. but. What about the theory that, like, so in, like, my opinion, what I see that, like, for social media is that everyone wants to look cool and downgrade all the problems. So my theory is that we could have already hit B16, B17, B18, but then everything that's been B14 before got downgraded to B13, and everything that's B13 right. got downgraded to B12. So if everything's getting downgraded, the grade, the next higher grade up is getting further to catch yeah. Ah, so. Yeah. That's what that, I think that's certainly a part of it. And people are getting stronger instead of thinking that they're getting stronger, they're thinking the climbs are getting easier. Yep. So maybe we could have already been there if and a lot of that comes down to ego, I think, where in our society where some people, professional climbers are not getting as much as other people, but they're climbing as hard as them, they wanna look cool and downgrade those bolder problems that the professionals are getting paid to do. Yep. So they go up there and be the macho and well, that's not really this great. It's actually, I think it's easier. No, I agree. I think that happens quite a bit. And that's what I, you know, that's what I tried to say to John in a, in a way that, you know, I think maybe those problems are on his scale much harder. You know, a lot of the hardest problems in the world. So, yeah. And no one wants their stuff to get downgraded anymore. So they, they put something up a lot of times. They put it usually a little bit softer. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> Get another beer, John. I think it'd be interesting. So, so John <laughs> mentioned the like number of years between um, increases in. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see that laid out. So, like, you know, ten years per grade or whatever, and now it's three years per grade. But it'd be interesting. So, so you could do that. But another way to slice it would be to say like the number of per person climbing days. Right for an increase in a grade. And so if you, you know, look in like, you know, between 1960 and 1970, the number of days that people bouldered. Were like 10. Whatever <laughs> And now, you know, as you go no, up. I, I, I agree with you at the same time, I would say that the thing that accelerated the most were pads. That's, you know, that's probably have true. Have you ever bouldered yeah. without pads? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I okay. first started, you know, there were no pads. Do you know how many times you tried a problem without pads compared to with pads? Yes. Yeah. Do you know how much quicker you succeeded on when you had pads? Yeah. Absolutely. So that that a big problem climbing, climbing doubled, doubled the acceleration. Climbing shoes made a huge difference. Yeah. 
Yeah, there have yeah, been some big advances. Oh yeah, for sure. Man, when now I did, knee bars. We're I did, all I did, downgrading I didn't your sticky, problems. I didn't, I didn't have sticky rands when I did uh, Mother of the Future, and, and I had boxy thing. I didn't have slippers. I mean, I I did that in first generation fee race. I looked at that it thing went the day down before like it got closed. When you put slippers on with sticky rands. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So talk to me about you know let's let's get off the subject of grades just for a bit here. Thank but you. Talk to me about <laughs> about early days of Waco. What are some standout problems, standout stories? What do you remember? Oh, or do man. you remember anything? There's been a lot of drinking between now and then. There has been, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember any of that. <laughs> um, well, the early days. Uh, it was hanging out in the the campground. Um, Todd Skinner was there in Joshua Tree uh, when I was there, and we met Mike Head and crew. Oh, okay, and uh, and we had both said, "Hey, yeah, let's go check this out." You know, it's like, well, Joshua Tree, it's just you know, fine, but hey, somewhere new, cool. And uh, so we both checked it out that year. He had some job up in Ruidoso, I think, uh, working uh, near the ski area, and I came out, and and so uh, that winter of eighty two, eighty three was when we both first came down here and started climbing here, and you know the locals they had jobs and stuff like that. They just couldn't like live here full time and start climbing, and yep. we went nuts. And uh, I was just like, holy crap, look at all this. Potential. Was Todd this mostly amazing. doing routes at the time? He, he wanted to do rope routes, yeah. He, that was his focus, and uh, I was more interested in bouldering. And so, uh, yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it was to my advantage that uh, I was the only one who was here full time who wanted to put up boulder problems. Now Murray was coming through at the time, but then he, you know, he put up the L Murrays, mm-hmm. which would have been probably in '83. Uh, yep. And, and he was kind of and, a, and some other things. He was kind of a hermetic legend of sorts. Oh my God! Yeah, no, yeah. he's the man in Southwest bouldering. Oh yeah, um, just absolutely legendary. And uh, he put up the El Murray's and uh, a few other things, you know, like the donkey shows left and right, whatever. Um, you know, some of the classic uh, hard boulder problems here. And then he was such a training fanatic. He overtrained and his wrists started separating from his arms. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, he, he <clears throat> was so fanatic about training that, that he was doing such extreme pulls on his hands that it was starting to pull his wrists apart. And, uh, never heard anything like that. Yeah, no, I haven't heard of it since or anything like that, but he, um, you know, suffered these injuries that knocked him out of the game for a long time, which, uh, frankly opened the door for me, you know, which is, uh, you know, sad for Bob. I like the guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, he was always an inspiration to me, but then I was here like a kid in a candy store, or you know, a, a you know, a in a liquor store. <laughs> is there a standout like first project, something that you spent more than just a couple of 
three or four tries mm-hmm. on. Or did you? I can't think of that. I mean, I, I think of the one thing that, you know, just like kind of clicked in my mind was doing Sign of the Cross. Yeah. And I think I mentioned that before. Like I crawled through those boulders and popped my head up and go, wow, yeah. look at this thing. And went back and did it. And there's pictures of me doing it in my clutter shoes. Clutter shoes. Clutter nice. shoes. Nice. Yeah. You guys might not be familiar with those. Those are those. like <laughs> rope soles, right? No, they didn't no. have rope soles. What we did was we took off, they had kind of a Vibram like sole, lug sole on them but we would take that sole off and we would replace it with a neoprene work boot sole okay it's called cat's paw neoprene and (laughs) it said no slip on the sole so we thought this is cool shit (laughs) (laughs) well this is long before sticky rubber so which is still not no slip back then yeah well are you kidding compared to this stuff (laughs) no this is very hard rubber but you could edge on a dime with it and that's how the technique was back then. You couldn't, you didn't have sticky rubber. It wasn't invented yet. So smearing was uh, used for 45 degree slabs that you were walking up, but right, they right. weren't, you, you weren't smearing on a foothold under an overhang at all. That, that just didn't happen. So um, you were super precise with your feet driving off a of little tiny, you know, bumps in the rock. And mm-hmm. these, clutter shoes with the cat's paw soles on them worked really good like that but anyway there's a picture of me you're doing a first ascent of uh uh sign of the cross yeah. in these clutter shoes nice. and that was uh the one that like just opened my mind to like oh my god every boulder here has potential you just got to crawl underneath them you got to you you wander around all these things there's just so much here to do because that was such a cool problem. Yeah. And, and then, you know, when I adopted that attitude, then my God, everything, it just opened up. It's just like, holy crap, there's so many good problems here to do. Oh, I'm sure. It, 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 it's just unreal. And then you could crawl in and little then caves it was, here. And forever. then it was just like year after year after year of like, wow. You know, well, what do I do next on the list? Because I'm, and you know, like I said before, I made a point to walk a different way back to the campground every time, and I would see new and new stuff, and I had this giant list of things in my mind that I wanted to go try, and I couldn't do them all. You know, there's only so much of me to go around. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, you know, I wanted to do them all, and so I would just go through the list, and and you know. And hey, if somebody beat me to first ascent of a problem that I wanted to do, well, the only reason they did was because I wanted to do something else even more back then. You know, right, it was just right. like holy, it was just a magical. Were there you know, any battles situation. for first ascents back then? Do you not, remember not, any? Not many. You know no. that that came later after the guidebook came out. Then that's yeah. when you know it heated up. Any I would memorable say, ones? But, uh, well, I would say that I had. You know, people I climb with, Chris Hill would be the best. You know, I mean, we okay. spent so much time climbing together, and he's one of my best friends. And and uh, we're we're both the same height, same reach. He was like, you know, ten pounds lighter. Uh, you know, a little bit better strength to weight ratio. Um, I was probably a little bit more determined. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it, it kind of equaled out, and we, we would battle over first ascents of things. But there was so much to go around back then. Sure. It was just like, 
wow, you know, you know, they would do one, uh, you know, he'd do one, I'd do another one or whatever. I mean, I remember he beat me to the control tower. I was like, ah, oh, because I'd just been up and I came down. Okay, psych up, psych up for that loose move up there. And then he went up and did it. Oh, you bastard. Yeah, <laughs> I had yeah. to go up and do it. And then, ah, I do it right after him. So there's so many of those first ascents that like, you know, he did or I did that he or I did the second ascent five minutes later yeah that's really cool and, oh yeah no it was, it was it was tremendous it was so much fun yeah that's a cool partnership yeah. to have you've brought up pads quite a bit as one of the one of the main things that mm. jumped grades up talk to me about something like c-spot that didn't have pads when you did it right i think i might have had the very first generation one i got from which isn't like uh, the pad Greg that we Burns. know it now no it was 24 by 24 inches and an inch and a half thick right of uh carpet padding yeah so uh basically when you're up at the lip of that yeah. it's like you're looking down at a cocktail napkin yeah so how does um, something like that go did you you know was it a ground up thing absolutely what was your ethic absolutely then? now for the record, Bob Murray had top roped that thing before I ever climbed it. Okay. But I didn't know that. Gotcha. And it was completely clean. There's no evidence that it had been climbed. And so, in my mind, it was a first ascent, and I got right. the thrill of the first ascent. And I think that's uh, something I did. I, I kind of like the multiple first ascent mentality yeah. yep. where – you know, you do a first ascent, but you don't tell anybody. And the next person who comes up thinks they did the first ascent, and you get the same thrill. Right. I mean, I think that's pretty cool, you know? Yeah, I do too. And, you know, hey, if you've only done a couple first ascents, maybe you're not down with that. But after you've done the, your first hundred or first thousand first ascents, then, you know, another first ascent doesn't mean that much to you. Right. You know, it's, it's uh, mm. so, uh, but on that one, um, you know, I remember I would climb up and down, working out the first moves until I was like, you know, about four feet below the lip. There's a set of pretty good holds there. Mm -hmm. And go like, hmm, man, I might want a spot for this. And I went back down, went over to the gymnasium, which is, you know, like a yep, through the you little know, three or four there. minute scramble away yep. through, through the chimney there. Yeah, and there was a bunch of Canadians climbing there. I was going, oh, hey, Canadians, man, these guys will do anything. <laughs> 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 I was going like, so I grabbed, I, grabbed, I grabbed two of these Canadians to come over and spot me. I figured, you know, my thinking was they both couldn't run away in time if I fell. <laughs> <So> <laughs> just I was going to have two people spotting me. That's why it was called C-Spot Run. It was like, I'm going like, well... They might bump into each other or whatever. I might still hit them on the way down if I came off. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. You know, I, I thought my chances were better if I had two of them than if I just had one. <laughs> and uh, and then I went up and I remember getting up there and just going like, you know, both my hands were pretty good on these two holds. And I was going to jump for the lip, and it was like I wasn't sure which hand I was going to jump for the lip with. Yeah. And I didn't make my mind up until I was in the middle of the move, <laughs> which just seems crazy because usually I'm very, very calculated boulder. But then I just wanted it so bad that I was just like jump for the lip. And at that point, I think I went with my left hand for the lip that time. And then when I went back to repeat it later, I went for my right hand. Oh my God, that's so much easier. <laughs> but but uh, it was... Uh, 
Yeah. It was, it was amazing. You know, and yeah. it was one of those times he's like, you're going like, okay, I, you know, I've, I've calculated it all out to a T. I can get up to here to this move. I've got one move to do. I've moved, done move this hard before. I'm pretty sure. I mean, yeah. I'm looking at it. It looks like one that I should be able to do if it was right off the ground. Mm -hmm. So why not just do it? Add that little bit of determination and, uh, and desire. Yeah. And so uh went and threw for it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and did it. And, uh, you know, and yeah, it was a great one. And now I, it's I'm a super happy. classic problem in Waco. Yeah. Yeah. No. So before it. we, before we wrap it up here, um, are there things you left undone that you wish you wouldn't have? Oh. In Waco? Well, there's things I wish I would have done, but they're done now. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> that I mean, sort of thing. But are there things but, that you tried for a while and never ended up doing that you wish you would? Well, have? full service would be the obvious one. Okay, talk to me about that. You know, uh, I just saw yeah. that thing today for the first time. I hadn't seen it before. Oh my god! Okay, amazing thing. So, so I'd done the the stand up start. You know, that was my problem. The lip service. Okay. Uh, from way back when. Yep. And then. Uh, I was looking at it. It's going like, wow, you can start to stand lower. And uh, I worked out the sequence. Terrible, terrible <laughs> sequence. <laughs> and I convinced myself it was the best sequence. Right. The only right. sequence. You got trapped in it. Yeah, I got trapped in a sequence. And this happened, you know, you know it. Yeah, I mean, we mm -hmm. all know, I mean, well, not all of us, but maybe most of us know it, that like you can trap yourself into a bad sequence and convince yourself that's the only way you can do it. And this is a learning experience for me. Yeah. And, you know, despite the fact, you know, how long I've been bored or whatever, I mean, I still learn from my mistakes. <laughs> and, uh, and I had this uh, horrible sequence. Now I'd done it from starting with my feet where people start with their hands now. So, I mean, like... Right. So, are you starting two, on, like, the J and H holds? Those first two moves aren't, aren't that hard. You know, I, I gotcha. started from two moves out, and I've done it from there. Right. You know, this is all the hard climbing. But I said, well, obviously, you can start from down here. Right. And But when I would get out there to the hard climbing, I just kept some weird fucked up subconscious reason i'd yank my yep. toe off and, and sure. this stupid little toe hook and i never thought of changing my sequence because i thought oh i've got the right sequence you know to do it so it was uh uh at the time kind of bitter pill to swallow um you know i'd heard that you know because i was i was being like uh territorial Right, right. It was always, you know, young buck back then and yeah, everything like yeah. that. And, I think we all uh, do that at some point. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I wanted people to stay off my project, go find your own project sort of thing, yeah. you know. And, uh, but then I'd heard that, like, you know, maybe Skip Garen had done it or whatever. But they, you know, Skip wasn't saying anything about it because he's not that kind of guy. He'd just right. do it and, and go on. And then, uh, and then uh, finally Dale Goddard came by and did it. And, okay. and, uh, and he was happy to tell me he'd done it because <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't too happy with, uh, about a decision I made when I was one of the, the uh, uh, judges at the Waco Motoring uh, Contest yep. before and he yep. tied for first, which is, God, what can be worse than sharing the glory of tying for first? But, yeah. <laughs> um, 
You've always caused waves, huh? Yeah, and uh, probably, <laughs> probably not a good thing. Not something I'm proud of. I can say that. I don't know. I think I, waves are necessary sometimes. Not all of them, but yeah, some of them are. Yeah, no, I've caused more than I should have. Um, well, but, I think, you've, uh, I think but, you've done enough good things to set that off, so or to offset well, that. I hope so. so. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I, I get really tickled going around now. I mean, I, I go out to the park on these tours to, yeah. you know, East Mountain, West Mountain, East Spurt or whatever, and I see groups of people clustered around. And you have to pay money to go on these tours. Right. They're paying money to go climb the problems I put up 30 years ago. Yeah. I saw how happy you were and, today. And that, that made me happy seeing and, uh, you that way. It's just like, yeah, I was going like, wow. I mean, I am glad that everything I did had an impact on these people to where that they are so psyched that they are doing, you know, high pro glow or yeah. moonshine roof or yeah. you know, whatever problems. it is, you yeah. know, baby face, you know, all these things that they're they're running out to do and line up to do. And it's just like, wow, you know, at the time when I was putting those up, it was all about, I want to do that climb, sure. you know? And it's still and, that and, way and, for and, all these and, people. Yeah. And, and now <clears throat> they'll go back, yeah. back to the same area over and over because mm -hmm. they want to do these same. Climbs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, I, I think mean, that's really cool. I think there's a lot of influence that I had on, how bouldering is now with no, the I grades agree. and and how popular Waco is and how that spread through the world and everything and people using pads and all that stuff. But uh, and it wasn't intentional at the time. It was sure, kind sure. Of organic grew out of all, yep. all of that, and uh, I'm glad people are having a lot of fun doing it. Yep, I'm I'm glad you did. Surly and all, I'm I'm glad for it. And you know, full service is going to be there. So after you do Midnight Lightning. You always come back. Should we talk about that? Hey, let's put in a little promo for the film, huh? Yeah, yeah. Tell me. Where's it when's it coming out? After you do it, I, I assume. After I do it. Well that's gonna be yeah. soon. Well maybe so. or maybe I might never do it, but I mean, okay. So I'm um, on this project, the old man lightning project now. Yeah. We're uh, trying to climb midnight lightning twenty five years after yep. I did it last. And, uh, you know, 25 years ago, you can't number of people who did it on your fingers and toes. Right, you know? right. And, uh, and, uh, I, gonna go I, back I and really, I, you know, I let myself go to a, a, you know, a slew of injuries and, and, uh, whatnot, you know, that, uh, I had kind of decided I was going to be happy climbing, you know, 10A trad and <laughs> be good with that for the rest of my life. But, Turns out when you let yourself go like that, all of a sudden 10A track gets kind of scary. <laughs> and in five nines you're getting worried about and stuff like that. And, and then I had to turn it around, you know, and, and uh, so I started training. I said, man, I got to set myself a big goal. Yeah. And, uh, and I won't stick with that goal if I don't make it public. Yeah. And, I agree with that. And, my, and, my, and grandma, my grandfather used to say, throw your hat over the fence. And what he meant was if you want to do something, you want to climb a fence throw your hat over and then you have to climb over so i like to put my goals out there as well and yeah. make it public then i then i stick to it and if i yeah. fail i fail but i at least went for it well i don't like doing that but i threw my hat over the fence yeah. anyway well, good good <laughs> and, we're, uh, we're all said, rooting for you and so. told the world that i'm gonna try to climb midnight lightning again at age 57 which is you know it's 
I mean, bouldering arguably is a young person's sport, but uh, I hope to prove that wrong. And yeah, uh, I hope you do too. Been uh, trying hard, got to lip a few times, and then hurt my finger, and uh, it's driving me nuts. But that's why I'm down here now. I mean, yep. the, the weather has officially been the wettest winter in in history down in Yosemite now, and and uh there just hasn't been a window to go try it so i'm here in waco yeah uh, trying to keep my fitness up and so that i get another crack at it as soon as it dries out cool well i'm looking forward to see how it goes when you get back to yosemite thank you and thanks for sitting down with me man right on man all right thanks john yeah hey next time buy some bitter beer okay <laughs> <laughs> So John has been back to Yosemite. He injured himself again, but he is not giving up. And I texted him just the other day to ask how the project was going, if he was still training, what was up. And he said, only one rest day planned from here to October, and that's for a colonoscopy. Ain't being a senior athlete grand. So, John, we definitely wish you the best um, once you get back to the Lightning. And I have every faith that you will. I have no doubt. Because you're a stubborn-ass old man, and I know you can do it. Um, definitely, you should check out John on the social medias. I will link to all of that in your show notes. You should also check out the oldmanlightning.com website and the trailer for the film. Um, also, I will link to that. And for more on John's Condor project, which is, which is pretty cool, and I, I know he did, shortly after this interview, capture his white whale on film. And, um, but then new condors were born, and now there's another one he hasn't gotten a photo of. So... That's pretty exciting to still have that out there. Or I assume he hasn't gotten a photo yet. I haven't heard. Um, And you can check out more about that at peregrinefund.org. And you can donate there. Choose the California Condor when you donate um, to help out that cause. Um, As far as grades go, you know, some of you may not be aware. I assume most of you are, but some of you may not that... The V grade is named for John Sherman. His nickname was Verm. Um, so he originated the grade. But honestly, I think it's grown into this whole other monster that that really isn't that easy to understand. It's definitely not the grading system that he intended it to be. Um, so I think it's tough to say what the boulders of today are doing with it and where it stands as opposed to yesteryear. Um, you really can't compare those athletes to these athletes. Would Jimmy Webb crush the, the Skip Garens and the, the Jim Holloways if they were around today? Probably, but they had new training resources if they were around today. Um, so who knows? It's pretty impossible to make that comparison. The one thing I can say for absolute sure is that the Jimmy Webbs of today stand on the shoulders of those guys, of the John Gills, of the Skip Garrens, of the Jim Holloways, of the John Shermans. And their 
Their contribution to this sport cannot be diminished. Even though John is a grump and just wants to argue, me too. His contribution can't be diminished at all. So, John, next time I will bring better beer and I'll bring better arguments. Um, And I hope to see you again soon. As for you guys, you know where to find us. Hit me up if you want to find, if you want to get private sessions during the festival this year. Um, If you're overseas and you want to order some shit, support us. Do it. We would love you for it. I'll send you a bunch of stickers while we're at it. PowerCompanyClimbing.com. You can find me on the Instagrams, on the Facebooks. You can find me on the Pinterests. You will never, ever find me on the Twitters because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. Yeah.